0: All right, if you would, hold your hope you still have your Bibles open there to Genesis chapter 37. The title of the message this evening, Joseph's Coat, Christ's Nature. As I said last week, when we looked at the genealogy of Jacob, Joseph is one of the clearest pictures of Christ that we have in the Old Testament. Moses says here that Jacob loved Joseph the most because he was the son of his old age. Well, that's a picture of Christ. Isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ is the son of the ancient of days. The father has eternally loved the son. You and I don't have the capacity to understand the depth, the purity, the eternality of the father's love for his son. That's what. how Joseph is a picture of Christ. He's the favorite son of Jacob. Joseph, the favorite son, as Brother Gary read to us, is a shepherd. He kept his father's sheep, and he was hated by his brothers. He ended up being sold into slavery. He was thrown into prison for crimes that he did not commit. He was suddenly raised to the throne of Egypt so that he could save much people alive. And later on, he was received from the dead by his father, Jacob. Jacob thought he was dead. His son was alive. He received his son from the dead. And Joseph forgave his brothers for everything they did to him. You meant it for evil, he said, but God meant it for good. And I'm not out to get you. Now that's the life story of Joseph. That's a work anybody to look at in these coming weeks. I'm very excited about it. Because that's a wonderful picture of how Christ our Savior, everything he went through in order to save his people from their sin. Now tonight I want to look at the beginning of the story. I want to look at the coat that Jacob made Joseph to wear. And this is not a coat like we consider a coat. It's a long shirt or a tunic that he made. Verse 2 says, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat, this shirt or tunic of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Poor old Jacob made no bones about the fact that he loved Joseph more than he loved his other children. I mean, it's astounding, isn't it? What this, this is such horrible parenting, it's, it's so wrong. It's no wonder Joseph's brothers hated him. It's their father's fault. It's Jacob's fault. Of course they hated him. It's just natural for a child, no matter how old he is, to want his parents' love. And when he don't get it, he's upset about it. That's what happened to Joseph's brothers. It's all Jacob's fault. But you know, like we've seen so many times over and over again, our study here in Genesis, God brings good out of evil. From Jacob's bad parenting comes a picture of Christ the Savior that we can trust to save our souls. The coat that Jacob made for Joseph, this was a, a beautiful coat. Joseph was more well-dressed his brothers. And they didn't like that. Because that coat distinguished Joseph as the favorite son. It made him stand out from all the rest. And Joseph's coat, this is how I want us to, to look at this coat that Joseph wore, this tunic. It's a picture of the nature of Christ. The father loves his son the most. Matter of fact, the father only loves the son. All of the father's love is in his son. And the father loves his son the most with good reason. You know why? The son is everything the father loves. It's his character. His character is everything that the father loves. He's holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. It makes him stand out as more beautiful than anyone else. The Lord Jesus Christ is so beautiful. Song of Solomon said, we read it to be open to service. He's altogether lovely. Everything about him is lovely. Just like there's no one dressed as well as Joseph, there's no one who has the beautiful nature of Christ. It's Christ's and Christ alone. The Father only loves the Son. Now here's where the, the reality is better than the picture. The father will accept people who are in his son. Now he only accept people who are in his son, but if you would be accepted of the father, you come to him in Christ. Joseph's brothers couldn't do anything to get their father to love them as much as he loved Joseph, could he? If you would have the father love you and accept you, come to the father in Christ. He accepts sinners in Christ. The father accepts people who bow to his son who worship his son. The father only accepts people who quit trying to make themselves beautiful with their works of righteousness and they submit themselves to the righteousness of Christ. They claim Christ as their only righteousness. That's who the father accepts, those who come to him in Christ. If you would be saved, if you would be accepted, if you would be loved, if you would be made righteous, if you would... Anything... You've got to go to Christ. It's all in Christ. We cannot be loved or accepted because of who we are or anything we do. It's all for Christ's sake. Now the Father has provided such a perfect, wonderful salvation in his Son, who is altogether lovely. And how do men react to it? Men hate Christ for it. The hating. Men cannot speak peaceably to or about the God of the Bible. Now they can, they're Jesus. They can their idol, but not the Christ of the Bible. You know why? They don't like what the nature of Christ says about them. It says here that Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Apparently his brothers were You know, lazing around, not really watching the sheep, not really taking care of the sheep. The sheep are suffering because the brothers aren't doing what they're supposed to do. And Joseph brings this evil report to his father. You know how the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brings an evil report of you and me? Just by standing in contrast to us. Our ugliness is seen compared to his beauty. Our depravity is seen Compared to his righteousness. Our, the filth of our sin is seen in comparison to his perfect holiness. And rather than hate ourselves for our sin. And beg God for mercy. You know what man by nature does? They hate Christ. They hate Christ. Joseph was hated for this beautiful coat that his father made him. And that coat remembers a picture of the, the character. The nature of Christ. Now, we don't know any specific colors that were in Joseph's coat. But I make some pretty good guesses based upon other colors that we have in Scripture that are given to us as, as pictures of Christ. And I've looked at these things carefully, even though we don't know the exact colors that were in his coat. I can make these guesses without doing damage to any Scripture. The many different colors of Joseph's coat are pictures their pictures are the many different facets of the beautiful character of Christ our Savior. And it's all these facets put together that make Christ the Savior that we need, that we must have. All these different colors, when you put them together, show us Christ is all. He's everything we need. He's everything that the Father requires of us. If you would have what the Father requires of you, go to Christ. That's what these colors show us. First, I'm just sure there had to be some white in Joseph's coat. You know, a good, bright white. That just helps out, helps bring out the, the beauty of the other colors, you know, by, by its, its contrast. Now it can't be dingy white in it. Oh, it's got to be a good white. You know, bleached or however you make something more, more white. It can't be dingy you now. It's, it's got to be a bright white. Well, the white in this coat represents the perfect holiness of Christ the Savior. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when he showed the disciples his glory? They said his clothes glistened and were whiter than any fuller soap could make. That's his holiness. That white purity is the nature of Christ's holiness. That makes it impossible. For him to sin. Impossible. And that's beautiful. In Exodus 28 verse 2. When the Lord's giving Moses the instructions for the high priest garment. He says thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother. For glory. And for beauty. That Those white garments for glory and beauty, that's a picture of the beautiful holiness of Christ our high priest. If our high priest is holy, the father will always accept him. The father will always accept his sacrifice and he'll accept the sacrifice he's making for the people that he's making the sacrifice for. He'll accept them. It's the holiness of Christ that causes us To worship Him. You think of the angels about the throne of God. You know one of the reasons that they say they worship God? It's His holiness. Remember when Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And he said he saw seraphims flying around the throne of God and what were they crying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The reason they're worshiping is tied to his holiness, isn't it? And God's holiness is what causes you and me to worship him. David said in Psalm 29 verse 2, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's why we worship him. It's the beauty of his holiness. And if God ever lets us see it, We'll worship Him. We'll worship Him. It's the holiness of Christ that makes His people sing praises. In Second Chronicles 20, verse 21, it says, He appointed singers unto the Lord. And you know why, what they should do? These singers, you know what the king told them they should do? Praise the beauty of holiness. They went out to battle singing the praises of God's holiness. And here's the thing that makes this holiness the holiness of Christ so beautiful. It, it's just—it's a wonder. It's so beautiful. It's just a wonder. It is the holiness of Christ that gives His people a holy nature before the Father, that lets the Father accept them. Hebrews ten verse ten: By the which will we're sanctified, we're made holy by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. The holiness of Christ. Is the holiness. Of his people. He gives his people. A holy nature. Now that's something so beautiful. And so wonderful. Only God could do it. And not only did he do it. He did it for the likes of you and me. He did it for sinners. The worst of sinners. To make them holy. In there had to be some white in that coat, don't you reckon? If it's going to be a picture of Christ. Then second, there had to be some blue in Joseph's coat. Blue is the color of the sky. Not being much of the color of the sky today, but normally blue is the color of the sky. Isn't it? That's a picture of Christ coming from heaven to earth. Now that's a miracle. Brother Cecil Roach, I've chewed on this for years. He said this in a message one time. He said, the greatest miracle that's ever taken place on earth is God became flesh. That's a miracle. That Christ came from heaven. The son of God came from heaven and was made flesh. The apostle Paul, who's smarter than all of us put together, said this. Great is the mystery of Godly. God was manifested in the flesh. If that's a great mystery that's beyond Paul's comprehension, you and I ain't never going to comprehend it either. What a miracle. God came from heaven and came in the flesh. And I tell you what makes that even a greater miracle. He came in the flesh to save sinners who rejected Him, who hated Him, who sinned against Him every chance they got, who utterly refused to bow to him. He came in the flesh. He came from heaven to earth in the flesh so that he could save those sinners. Sinners like you and me. Now that's beautiful. What a beautiful act of God's mercy and grace. Christ came from heaven to earth in the flesh, and when he had finished the work that the Father gave him to do, he suffered. And died for the sin of his people. He lay in the tomb. Dead for three days. I can't explain that. But that's what he did. There was a dead body in that tomb for three days. And then he rose from the dead. And he rolled that stone away. And walked out. Because his sacrifice. Had put away the sin of his people. And 40 days later. He ascended back to heaven. Where he sits right now. Making intercession. For the sin of his people. And there he'll be. Until he calls us home. Now, Christ came from heaven to save his people, and then he ascended back to heaven. You know why? You know what that tells us? The salvation of God's elect is accomplished, it's done. Lock, stock, and barrel, and it's all done but to shout. Let me show you that in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Verse 8 of Ephesians chapter 4. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, this is after he came to earth, he ascended up on high. When he did, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the, the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill or fulfill all things. Christ ascended back to heaven because he fulfilled all the Father's purpose of redemption. Christ from heaven is now back in heaven. And that's the assurance of our salvation. Salvation is complete. That's the only reason that Christ would be accepted back into the presence of the Father. Now that's beautiful, isn't it? That's a salvation that came from God. From heaven to sinners on earth like you and me. That's beautiful. Then I figured there must have been some red in Joseph's coat. The son of God became a man for a purpose. It's so that he could be the representative of his people. And so that he could die as a substitute for his people. Christ became a man. The son of God became a man so that he'd have blood to shed. As an atonement for the, the sin of his people. That's what the red pictures, it's his blood. Now before time began, before anything was created, God elected a people to save. But those people are poor sinners. They're lost, vile, wretched sinners. Now God's chosen them unto salvation, but they must be redeemed. Their sin, their debt cannot be swept under the blood. They are mu- under the rug, excuse me. They must be redeemed. And Peter tells us the only way that we can be redeemed is with the precious blood of Christ. Contrary to what you hear in man's religion, the holy God is not pleased with our works of religion and our motions of religion. You know, when we go through these works of religion these motions of religion thinking that what i'm doing here in, the, in these religious ceremonies this this is what's going to make god happy with me when that's our purpose in doing them you know what god says they're in my nose they're offensive to me our works of religion cannot put away our sin god said without the shedding of blood is no remission But now it can't just be any blood. Can't be the blood of bulls and goats, which never put away sin, could it? It must be perfect blood. Pure blood. Look over at first Peter. This I quoted part of this a minute ago. First Peter chapter one. First Peter one verse eighteen. For as much as you know, you're not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See that without blemish and without spot, that's the white. Thy figure had to be in Joseph's coat. It's the it's the holiness, the purity of Christ. Christ must be He must have a holy nature so he has sinless blood that can atone for sin and pay for sin and wash it away. Verse 20, Peter goes on. He said, who verily was foreordained from the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. He was made manifest. He was made visible from that blue. When he came from heaven to earth, when he was made flesh, he was made visible to me. John said, we saw him. We handled him. He was made flesh and dwelt among us. But now he was manifested. He appeared. He came from somewhere else, didn't he? He came from heaven. This is the eternal savior. He came from heaven to earth and made himself manifest to his people. And he got the job done too. Verse 21. He was manifest in these last times for you. Who by him, by his power, by his grace, by, the, by his gift of faith, by him do believe in God. It raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. That your faith and hope might be in God. Now if your faith and hope is in God, I can tell you this, you'll never be disappointed. Because God can't fail. If your hope, your expectation, your hope, of eternal life, that your hope, that your sin is forgiven is in the blood of Christ, you've got a good hope. If the blood of Christ was shed for your sin, your sin's forgiven. It's been blotted out and you've been made righteous. Because what does the book say? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. If your hope is in the blood of Christ, you have no sin. Now get a hold of that. You're holy, you're righteous and you can never perish. And the reason is the Son of God became a man to shed his blood for you. Can you think of anything more beautiful than that? Can you think of any news that's better news than that? I can. not and fourthly, I figure there had to be some purple in Joseph's coat. You know, Purple, you get that as a combination of blue and red. Blue, the color of heaven. Red is the color of man. There had to be some purple, I figure, in Joseph's coat as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. The God-man. Two natures, one person. The Lord Jesus Christ is 100% God and he's 100% man. Not 50-50, 100% God and 100% man. The math of that, I know, does not work. It's heavenly arithmetic. This is what God did and it had to be this way. The Savior must be the God man. He must be 100% God. And he must be fully man for this reason. He's got to have the power. He's got to have the right to save sinful men and women. That's the power of God. That's the right of God. But he also must be a man so he can be the representative of the people he's saving. You see, we were made sinners by representation. We weren't made sinners first time we told our mama a lie. We were made sinners a long time before that. We were made sinners by a representative man, by Adam. When Adam took that fruit and ate it in open rebellion against God, he knew exactly what he was doing. When Adam sinned, you and I sinned in him. That's how we became sinners. We sinned in him. It's not like we sinned. When Adam sinned, God's not just charging Adam's sin to us even though we weren't there. No, sir. We were there. We were in the loins of our father, Adam. And when he sinned, we did too. We did sin. Well, if we would be made righteous, we need another representative. See, we can't do it ourselves, can we? When Adam died, we died in him. We died. We can't do anything for ourselves. We need another representative man to come and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So God became a man. He became a man so he could be the representative of his people. And when he obeyed God's law, all of his people did too. God is not just accounting, not not just giving you the righteousness and the obedience of Christ even though you weren't there and you didn't do it. No, sir. Whatever Christ did, his people did do because they were in him. God accounts his people to be righteous because Christ, our representative, made us righteous. You see that? But if Christ is going to be our representative, he's got to come in our nature. So he came with the nature of man so he could be the representative of his people and make them righteous by his obedience for them. But now something's got to be done with our sins. Something's got to be done with our sin. There's got to be death. Somebody's got to die to satisfy God's justice against our sin. Well, our death won't do it. Our death won't satisfy God's justice. We need a substitute. Well, God can't die. God's perfect, but God can't die. God's holy and righteous, but God can't die. So the Son of God became a man so he could be the substitute for his people. That's why the blood of bulls and of goats could never take away sin. They can't take away the sin of man because they have a different nature. God took on him the nature of a human being so he could be the substitute for his people. Put their sin away to pay the debt and wash their sin away in his perfect blood. You see, God in the flesh That's the only way sinners could be saved from their sin. That's why the Son of God suffered the humiliation of being made flesh. And so he could be the representative of his people. He could be the substitute for his people and save them from their sin. Now that's beautiful. That's beautiful that someone so glorious and so wonderful But do something like that for the low down wretches that you and I are. That's wonderful. And purple is also the color of kings. I'm just sure Jacob, even though he didn't know what he was doing, put some purple in this coat, the coat of his favorite son, to be a picture of Christ the king. Christ the king of kings, the sovereign savior, who saves whom he will, when he will. Joseph was the favorite son. But little did Jacob know how Joseph would rule. (laughs) Oh, what a king he would be. How he'd rule over the whole known world at that time. Now that's a picture of Christ. The only way a sinner can be saved is by a Savior who's got the power and the right to save. Well, Christ the King has the power to save. He's got the right to save. And he has used his sovereign power to obtain redemption, eternal redemption for his people. He's used his sovereign power to apply that salvation to the hearts of his people. He makes them willing when? In the day of his power. When he comes and makes them willing. When in his power, He causes a new nature, a new man to be born in the hearts of his people that loves Christ, that believes Christ, that bows to Christ. God does that with his power. He could use his power to send every one of us to hell. Instead, he used his power to save his people from their sin. Now that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Then I figured there had to be some gold and silver. Maybe it was just threads sewing all these pieces together. But I figure there had to be some gold and some silver in Joseph's coat. There had to be some gold and silver to picture the preciousness of Christ our Savior. The whole person of Christ is precious to the Father. He's precious. He's the only one that ever pleased the Father. He's the only one that ever did the Father's will. He's the only man that ever lived who's righteous and holy. Oh, the whole person of Christ is precious to the Father. And the blood of Christ is precious to the Father. That's why the blood of Christ pays the redemption price for his people. When the Father sees the blood of his Son, the Father says, it's enough. The debt is paid in full. Nothing else is valuable enough to pay that debt. But the blood of Christ is because it's precious to the Father. And Christ is also precious to his people. Unto you, therefore, which believe. He is precious. And that word is preciousness. Unto you, therefore, which believe. He is preciousness. Christ is preciousness itself. His whole person is precious. His sacrifice is precious. His love, oh, that he loved the likes of us, that's precious. His grace is precious. His mercy is precious. His gospel is precious. His gospel is precious because it tells about him. Christ is so Precious. He is all his people want. And he gives himself to us freely. Now that's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that a beautiful, that's the beautiful character, nature of Christ our Savior. That's what that coat pictured. But that's not the end of the story of this beautiful coat that Jacob made for Joseph, is it? I'd say everybody here knows the story of Joseph. What happened to Joseph's beautiful coat? How did it end up? It ended up covered in blood. Remember, they the brothers covered that Joseph's coat in animal blood. There wasn't any DNA testing like there is now. There's just animal blood. And they dipped Joseph's coat in that blood trying to tell their father that some animal must have killed Joseph. What happened to the beautiful character the beautiful, precious nature of Christ our Savior. It was covered in blood, wasn't it? His blood. His blood. The blood that he shed to pay for the sin of his people. See, Jacob just thought Joseph had died. He lived many years thinking Joseph was dead. Christ did die. He did die. The Father's the one to put him to death. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. And then, after many years, Joseph was raised to sit on the throne of Egypt. Now that happened as a picture of Christ. Christ was raised from the dead and he ascended back to glory to sit on the throne of his father's right hand. Christ the Savior is sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning over everything in his creation. There's not one thing that his finger doesn't directly move and make happen his creation he's sovereign over it all that's joseph he sat on the throne and you know why he said he sat on the throne well it's just not because you know god saw all this bad stuff happen to me and he evened it out you know let me be king let, no he said god put me on the throne to save much people alive now joseph saved many people alive but you know who he cared about saving alive his brethren, his brethren. When they when they came to, to we'll look at this in a few weeks. When when Joseph called and said, "Now you come to Egypt," and he sent word to his father, "Forget your stuff, leave your stuff, come here. I'll provide everything for you." And they got there. Joseph did just make sure they had you know enough to scrape by. He put him in the land of Goshen, the best place to live in all of Egypt. Joseph was put on the throne to save Israel alive. That's why he was put on the throne. Christ our Savior sits on the throne. He's ruling over everything. He's disposing of everything that happens in his creation. For this reason. To save his people alive. That not one of them perish until they're brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He sits on the throne, ever living, to make intercession for the sin of his people. Now, if the Lord Jesus Christ, the successful, victorious, accepted Savior, is sitting on the throne, making intercession for you, you can never perish. Never perish. You'll always be accepted. Now, that's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful that he'd do that for the likes of sinners like you? And that's beautiful, isn't it? To my way of thinking, that's a pretty good reason to trust your soul to him. Pretty good reason. All right. Well, I hope that'll be a blessing to you. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, how we thank you for this time we've had together to look into your word. Father, how I beg of you that you would Enable each one of us here this evening to be able, by your mercy and grace, by faith, to see Christ our Savior, to trust our souls to him, to hang onto him, to cling to him, to trust him and him alone. Father, how we thank you for such a wonderful Savior. How can we ever even begin to thank you? that someone so wonderful would suffer such great depths and great agony, great humiliation in order to save sinners at the bottom of the barrel like we are. Father, our thanks can't be enough, but we do thank you. Our praise is not enough, but we do praise you. Our worship is not sufficient, but we do worship you. Thank you, Lord, for such a Savior. And I pray that you use your words that has been preached tonight for the glory of Christ our Savior. For it's in his precious name. For his sake we pray. Amen. All right. If you would, now let's stand together and sing hymn number 463. 463. All that thrills my soul.